You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit lonocoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. And by Dizzy Pig Barbecue, visit dizzypigbarbecue.com, use the coupon KIME15, that's K-E-I-M-15, for 15% off your order shipped in the U.S. I heartily endorse both companies. Today, I talk to former Washington tight end Logan Paulson about Scott Turner's offense, what does Paulson like and what does he not like? Does he see improvement? And we talk about the run game, what he sees as some issues. Paulson is one of the smartest players I've covered, so pay attention. And of course, it's a Therapy Thursday mailbag session, so buckle up. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about Ron Rivera's gambling during games and what the impact of that was on players when he was in Carolina. Some good insight from some of his former players. I have a feeling that we'll also be talking a little bit more soon about the perceived mixed messages and his comments on that. I'll get to your questions in a minute, but first my conversation with Logan Paulson. Also, tune into him pre and post game on 106.7 The Fan. Well, I always like talking to Logan Paulson because, again, I told, I've told you folks before, and I've told Logan this as well, I get more insight and learn more when I talk to him than when I talk to just about anybody else. So that's why I like having him on. And, Logan, what people keep asking me, and I you know, hear from national people and you know, people like Chris Cooley have talked about Scott Turner's offense and the scheme. I'm curious your take on what you've seen from his system so far. So on our show, we've been talking about it quite a bit and just kind of how, you know, disappointed I've been in, in terms of um, what he's like put out there in terms of uh, kind of cultivating something that's complex and challenges defenses intellectually, um, you know, challenges their rules, challenges their fits. And, uh, you know, I've kind of been feeling that way for a couple of weeks now, but I will say um, you know, Sunday's game was kind of, I thought, a maturation a little bit. You know, he did a lot of motion early. He kind of did a variety of different motions, jet sweeps, uh, fake reverses to kind of just make sure that everyone's playing by the rules on defense and that they're lined up to where they're supposed to be and they're fitting gaps the way should, they should be fitting. And so I like that. And I also like that they got into some kind of more down-the-field passing game uh, stuff. And I do think that was probably a reflection of having Brandon Sheriff back. They probably felt more comfortable with the protections. But even then, you know, they got into more play-action stuff. They just did more stuff offensively than we've seen them do. And so, to me, that kind of silenced some of my criticisms because, obviously, they're aware of what's going on with the offense and, like, the trajectory that it needs to take. So, like, is it perfect by any stretch of the imagination? I would say probably not. But I do think that they are – this last game gives me confidence that they are moving towards something more complex and by extension, something that's going to allow those guys to 
to play at a higher level. You've been around some really good coordinators. How long does it take for a guy to to establish who he is as a coordinator and just the, what he wants to be about? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good question because, you know, like I was with Kyle here in Washington and obviously like the first two years we were here, the offense was very average, you know, and then Kyle went to Cleveland and same kind of thing. And uh, I had a conversation with Kyle about it when I was with him in uh, San Francisco and he kind of said it takes three years, I would say, because of the the learning required by the players. Like you can't give them too much. You can't give them uh, kind of all these complicated things because even if you give them the most basic stuff, they're still lear- learning the techniques in a lot of cases. And that's something that I think is so important to understand. Like this is like like the worst case scenario for Ron Rivera and Scott Turner. Like you have a young team with young quarterbacks, young skill position players, and you're installing an NFL offense. And you are relying on a rookie in right and a rookie in gold. And I, he got hurt, but like, you know, they were kind of being featured more in the offense to know something that, you know, by all uh, accounts, an NFL offense is very complex. So I think it's, it's really challenging for him, you know, to kind of see what everyone's comfortable with and, and, and where it needs to be. So, yeah, I, I, w- I think this is probably all part of like the natural growing pains of learning a new offense with a young group of people. And then for, you know, because again, again, you, as you talked about, you were with Kyle. And so, I mean, to me, he's almost as good as it gets as a play caller. Right. From afar, you know, can you tell, like, I mean, even early on, everything you just say, what are some of the things that set a guy apart, even through those struggles? Like, can you see things through struggles where you say, yeah, it doesn't look good here, but I see this and this and this, and that's going to carry him down the road. Do you, you know, how you, can you see that? Could you see that even with like a Kyle? So, yeah, I think the thing with Kyle that I always appreciated is that he was, everything had a purpose, you know, everything was kind of being utilized to set up something else. You know, you, you, you run this run early so you can set up the play pass later. You run this pass concept later to set up this other pass derivative off of it. And I think like, that's something you like to see. And so right now, obviously like, you know, that's the offense that I grew up in. I was with Kyle. I was with Sean. Even the guy in Chicago run a derivative of Kyle's offense. And then, you know, so that's what I feel really comfortable with. And that's what I like to see offensively. So that I do have an, my own biases here. But I, I, I think that that's one of the things that's kind of frustrating about the offense. Is I don't think that, you know, the play pass stuff really matches up super great with what they're doing in the run game. They try to, but, they, you know, they don't use a fullback. They don't. Um, they kind of have very distinct packages. You know, they have they bring in uh, um, Sprinkles and the other guy, the other rookie from Carolina, and, you know, they're going to run the ball or they're going to run a play pass. And it's like, it's very telling. And I think um, that's what I was really frustrated about, like the first four or five weeks of the season. And in this last game, you got to see some of that complexity, some of the packages marrying together. And I think that's only going to get better as guys get more comfortable and as Scott Turner gets more comfortable, so. How much do you think that is a function of guys getting more comfortable or just the quarterbacks, which a guy who knows this offense a little bit, who clearly knows this offense better because he was in it for a longer period of time? Yeah, it's kind of like the proverbial uh, chicken or the egg scenario, right? I think um, I, I think it I think they probably are are really connected. Um, I think, you know, Scott Turner probably was not very confident in Dwayne Haskins just in the way he was calling games. And then, you know, obviously he's kind of come to life a little bit since um, Kyle Allen's been in there. So I do think, you know, as much as a player needs to be confident and uh, and playing at a high level, a coordinator needs to be confident in the players too. And I think that's what we're seeing 
with Kyle Allen and Scott Turner. I think they just have a really high comfort level with each other. And I think that's uh, coming to light. What could you see when, when Dwayne was in there that, that told, was it just the concepts they were running or what else told you that? Yeah. So I think it was, I think in large part, it was the concepts, just the simplicity of the attack, you know, like uh, I go back to the Baltimore game and even prior to the Baltimore game, like very horizontal, lots of crossers. They would run the same play on third down. If they're looking for a conversion at a certain down and distance and you're kind of like, well, obviously you've run that, you know, three or four times already in the game. I think that they're ready for it. They understand like what your go-to is here. And, you know, you saw a little bit more diversity in the play calling, a little bit more diversity in the formations, um, a little bit more kind of pre-snap movement and just some more challenging things for the defenses to look at. And I think that is a reflection of, in large part, Kyle Allen's understanding of the offense and his comfort level. And then, um, like, I th- like I said, I think Scott Turner knows that Kyle knows the offense and is willing to do some more of that stuff because it's not it's not going to get lost in translation from, you know, his mouth through the earpiece to a quarterback who's not super familiar with the offense. What did you make of the quarterback switch? <laughs> what did I make of the quarterback switch? I think uh, everyone asks that. You know, that comes up on the show all the time. And I think that um, – you know, the NFL is not fair. And should Dwayne Haskins probably have gotten some more time? And I would think probably yes. However, like if if all of these rumors that are kind of circulating are true, that he's not handling his business inside the building, then I think the switch is probably more warranted. Because, you know, as you know, you've been around the game for a long time. You've interviewed a lot of guys. Like if you're not preparing at a high level and the game is not does not appear to be important to you and you're the, and you're the starting quarterback for a team, like, the leash becomes extremely short very quickly. So like just based on play, I would say, you know, he probably based on my estimation, he could have played another couple games and see what happened. However, like, I think it's all of that off the field kind of stuff that's swirling that I think justifies the switch. And I think the, I think the offense is going to look out, look, look a lot healthier moving forward. When you're a veteran player, if you see a guy who's not put in, if if that's, you know, again, because that's, listen, that's what I've heard. I've heard that from two different staffs over the last two years. Can't help what I hear. So if you're a veteran guy in that locker room and if you're seeing the same thing, how does that impact you and others? Well, I, I think, you know, like everyone knows. And I think if you don't know, like the quarterback is the most important position on the team. And so you don't want that. You want that guy to be the model of what it means to be a professional and what it means to study and what it means to own an offense. Like when you go to a good team, like, you know, Atlanta wasn't a good team when I was there, but when you're with like a guy like Matt Ryan, for example, he knows everything about the offense and he challenges himself to know it better than every single other person on the offense so that you can go to him almost like he's a coach. And I'm not saying Dwayne needed to be that right now, but he needed to show some type of motivation to get there. Cause if, if, if that's not there, like as a veteran player, like you asked me, like that's I, that's extremely frustrating that a tight end would know the offense better than the starting quarterback. That's just unacceptable, you know. Like, and um, I'm not saying that's that was the case with Dwayne, but like that w- that would be something that I would find very frustrating because not only does he have his own livelihood in his hands, but he has my livelihood, my family's livelihood, the coach's livelihood, every other person's livelihood, and way they make money and provide for their families in that guy's hands. And if he's not taking it seriously, then that's extremely frustrating for me because that's. That's something that I value is my ability to provide for my family. What would you need to see from him to put him back in? Right now? Yeah, that's a great question too. I think I think I would need to see this kind of this preparation. All the off the field things would need to be taken care of. You know, uh, dot your I's and cross your T's in every single way. Like if 
And that's one thing that is also kind of an enigma to me. Like you have one of the best professionals ever to play the position in Alex Smith. Like by all accounts, everything I've heard about him is that he is the truest pro. He might not be the greatest player, but he's the truest pro. And he's there as an example for you. Like, why are you not in his hip pocket every single day? Like, there's the blueprint for what you need to do. Like, why not embrace that? Embrace that resource with two hands. And that's what I would need to see. Him, him to kind of take advantage of those things and, and show a level of professionalism that apparently, again, like you said, it's all kind of hearsay at this point, um, that he has not shown. And, and you know, one of the other topics, of course, has been, and I even asked Ron Rivera on this on the conference call the other day, because I get asked about this a lot on social media, about mixed messages coming from him. Yeah. Do you think there has been mixed messages, if so, or y- yes or no, and if so, how? So it's it's really easy for me as a media member to say, yeah, the messages have been mixed, but like really Ron and every other head coach in the NFL does not care at all about what the media thinks traditionally. Like they care about what the locker room thinks. So a mixed message to us might seem convoluted and, and somewhat, um, you know, murky. But I think that um, I think that as long as the message is good in the room, in the building, I think that's fine. Like, yeah, he's kind of been all over the place. And I, and I think I brought this up on, on the show the other day. Like it would have been so much nicer if he would have just been kind of like, this is what's going on. This is what we're thinking with Dwayne Haskins. Like we support him, but if he doesn't improve in these areas, and, I've, and as a player, I've always I've always appreciated that type of leadership style. And it's so rare because everyone's kind of trying to avoid things. And that, that being said, that's what he's giving the media. That's what he's giving the, the outside world. Um, that's what he's giving the muggles, you know, to kind of make a Harry <laughs> Potter reference. Like in the building, if they, know, if they know what's going on, like it's totally fine. And the message is if the message is clear to those guys, that's all that matters. And, and I and I agree with that. I don't. I think what we think it's it's. The, I've always felt like the number one thing is what what the players inside there think more than anything. Have, what about the two point conversion? Did you agree with that one? I think that's a decision. Like even if you look at the if you, if you look at the analytics that you probably could justify and probably is justifiable. And I have no problem with the decision at all. Like I, would I have done it? I probably would think twice about it just because I'm a more conservative person like if I'm the head coach I'm just a little bit more conservative like I didn't feel like people talk about momentum you got the momentum I just didn't feel the momentum I didn't feel the momentum that I would have needed to make that happen but that doesn't mean the decision's wrong I actually like the decision I think you know win the game there or win it overtime that's fine um you know if he gets that call like no one even bats an eye so the only thing I might have a little bit of a problem with is the play call I thought it was a little kind of it, it kind of boxed them into a corner a little bit they were trying to isolate the back on a linebacker which i've been calling for this whole time so i shouldn't be one to talk you know that it didn't work <laughs> out but you know that and i just feel like it didn't give the quarterback a lot of options especially in this critical situation you know and um i've always been a big fan of giving the quarterback in that situation if you have a guy who can run the like a run pass option you know like like let them kind of give them the flexibility to do either i just felt like the play call kind of boxed them in a little bit but Ultimately, I can't be mad at the call and I can't be mad um, at the play call either because, you know, like I think it was in in the spirit of of winning the football game. And I don't think it was ill-advised. When you have a coach who's willing to go for it like that, he likes to go for it on fourth down. What does that, whether or not you make it or not, does it instill a certain mindset in players or is everything just dependent on winning and losing? Um, I I do think that um, as an offensive player, it was always really cool when a coach kind of showed that confidence in you. And I think, I think the thing that people have to be aware of though, is that 
that confidence has to be justified. It can't be like, oh, we're going to go for it on every fourth down because I'm trying to prove something to somebody. It's it has to kind of it has to like the, it has to be real on some level inside of him that he believes the offense can accomplish the task. And when you have that faith in a group and it's shown consistently in those decisions, I think that's really powerful. I want to just a couple more things here, Logan. I always appreciate your time. And again, you you keep – I'm mentioning this before the interview, but while we're talking about it, his show is on 106.7, so that's where you can find him. And I think it's what, pre and post game? Yeah, pre and post game. Pre and post game. So there you go. The run game. Antonio Gibson's a young guy, and you can see some yeah. of the growth struggles that he has. You can see the talent that he has. What else is going on with the run game from your perspective that um, needs to happen to make it better? You know, I've kind of went through and watched the first 25 plays, and I watched two-point conversion. I'll, I'll watch the rest hopefully tomorrow offensively. And, you know, again, like this is a run game that I'm not super passionate about. Like if I was the head coach of the football team, like I probably wouldn't run this. It has had some success. If you look at their success with it in Carolina, I think it's it shows the validity of the 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 techniques and the philosophy. But I think you need a certain type of group up front to get it done. Those guys all need to be on the same page and understand each other really well. And they also need to be really good at running double teams. And I kind of felt like in watching the film, and you know, you know, this is one game. Obviously, I've watched the other ones, and uh, this has come up a little bit in those games as well is like they kind of are hanging on double teams. They're not getting to the second level the way they need to. And you're getting free runners on the running back. And if you look at Gibson, like everyone's kind of giving him a hard time, but there's not the one thing about a gap running scheme is it's designed to hit in a certain place. Right? So if you can't move that defensive lineman out of the way and then seal off the linebacker and then kick out the defensive end or however you choose to do that, if you can't do that with the guys you got, like there is very little air, which is one of the reasons I don't like it is because like I think it, it, it limits the back's creativity. Like if, if they're running outside zone, you give the back multiple opportunities to make a cut. And, um, and I think that that's always better. You know, more choices are always better, especially when you have an athlete like Gibson back there. Now, you look at like um, the running back down in Carolina, who's probably the best in the NFL when he's healthy. Like he did very well in this scheme, but this is what he ran in college. And so he's really familiar with it. And he's always very comfortable. I don't know if that level of comfort is here yet with this player. Uh, but I do think if you're a fan of the Washington football team and and he, in my opinion, he's been one of the bright spots. He breaks tackles. He makes guys miss. He's got tremendous ability. I think, I think it's a little bit him kind of in his experience, but also I think the offensive line, it's the first time they're working together. And this is a very, it's a challenging system to run if you've not done a ton of it. So I think that's, I think it's a two pronged issue. And that's why I like having you on because I can see what Gibson's struggles are as far as the patience that he needs to sometimes show. And there's a play the other day where he's, he's in the hole at the same time that the tight end is pulling, you know what I mean? Like, uh, right. you know, that's not right. But, and there's been some games, I thought the Baltimore game, you missed some holes, yeah. but um, you know, I think it's, that's why I like having you on because you are so good at explaining that aspect of it. And I do think like, if they put him in an outside zone scheme, I think he'd be probably be really good in that yeah. kind of situation. Um, a, no, the last thing I wanted to ask you though, have you seen growth in this team and what kind of growth do you want to see the rest of the way? I think, you know, this is a loss obviously against a team that's not very good, but I do I, like when I was watching and prepping for, for Sunday's game, I thought the giants defense was, was pretty talented, like, especially up front, you know, like they're, their front seven was really good. And then they also had some really good cover guys. And so for them to kind of have the offensive production that they did, 
the consistency that they did moving the football, sustaining drives, converting on third down. I like that. I'd like to see a, a more. I'd like to see more of that because as the offense gets healthier, those things become easier, and that's just great for everybody. And then defensively, I've talked about this. I'd like them to start trying to eliminate some of the mental mistakes and some of the communication errors, which I think have led to some big plays. You know, I'm not in the room with those guys, so I don't know for sure, but it just looks like in the back end, especially, they're not on the same page. And, you know, like that's the great thing about defense. Um, it takes all 11, you know, it takes all 11 to make your right. And so like, there's been a couple times where like Landon Collins has caught some heat for missing a tackle, but it's really one of the defensive linemen hasn't squeezed appropriately and created a gigantic hole and an impossible tackle. So I'd like them to see, see those guys kind of get on the same page, get in a more third long situation and literally let that pass rush come to life. I, I feel like, you know, since week one, they haven't really had an opportunity to spin their ears back and rush the passer um, in obvious passing situations, partially because they're never playing from a lead. And that makes it really hard to be effective as a rusher. So I think that's a really talented group, especially on the edges in terms of pass rushing. It'd be great to see them have an opportunity to show that. Yeah, it kind of it's kind of hard to rush the passer when you're down by 14 points in yeah. a lot of games. So that kind of limits what you can do there. But <laughs> Logan, I appreciate you coming on. And and like I said, all the time, I appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on, John. After this break, I'll be back with your mailbag questions. Is Ryan Kerrigan on the trade block? I used to love making all of my own spices. Now I love reaching for one of Dizzy Pig's craft seasonings. Based in Manassas, Virginia, they grind their spice combinations daily and it's easy to see why they've built a loyal following over the past 20 years. Dizzy Pig owner Chris Capel has won 15 championships on the Pro Barbecue Tour using only their products. And I've heard from other pitmasters on the Barbecue Tour that insist on Dizzy Pig. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Just recently, I cooked a ribeye with their cow lick seasoning. Fantastic flavor. My wife really likes the mole and the Peruvian and the popular Dizzy Dust is truly all-purpose. And if you're cooking turkey during the holidays, you have to use their Mad Max Turkey Rub. It's seasonal, so you can buy it now until January. With 27 different blends, there is a seasoning for just about any recipe or cooking technique. Get 15% off your online order shipped in the U.S. if you use the coupon KIME15, that's K-E-I-M-15, at DizzyPigBBQ.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y-P-I-G-B-B-Q.com. Welcome back. The doctor is in. Before I get started, though, I was asked a few times about running back Bryce Love. I'll just tell you that he's still working his way back, still on IR, of course. I'll also tell you it's not like they're sitting there saying to themselves, just wait until Bryce gets back. He still has a lot more that he needs to show them when he does return before they get that excited. So there's your update. Let's get to the questions. Thomas Rogers wants to know, is Ryan Kerrigan on the trading block? Hey, Thomas, I kind of answered this one last week, but was asked again by a few people, so here we go again. No, he's not on the trading block. I would say I do believe he'd welcome a trade at this point, seeing how he probably doesn't factor into the future here in the last year of his deal. Though he that could be as much Dan Snyder's call as anything, one person here called Kerrigan a legacy guy. But Kerrigan's role has also been curtailed, of course, coming off a, a career-low seven snaps. And, you know, rightly would be with the his less time behind Montez Sweat and Chase Young, it's understandable. But Washington does value his leadership and wants him around for that reason. 
I also know that no teams are calling about any of Washington's players at this point. The guys that would command much in a trade are ones that Washington considers core guys. Those, you know, they're not going to trade the, the young guys, the Montez Sweat, the Chase Youngs. You know, they don't want to trade Brandon Sheriff. Guys like that, that, you know, Terry McLaurin, that factor big time into their future. The ones that the fans want to unload don't have much value. I wouldn't be shocked if somebody gets traded, but as of right now, I don't expect much to happen. Even with Dwayne Haskins, I don't see it right now. As of right now, no one has called. With the stuff that's out there on him, those who didn't like him before the draft will continue to stay away. But if some team, some team did like him and had interest, they'd usually call and ask how much of what's out there is true. That's not taking place at this point. I don't think there's much interest. And going back to Kerrigan, I think one thing, you know, teams, you could see them maybe wanting him as a situational rusher. I think there was probably a little bit more interest in him last year. Um, but, you know, that's something to watch going forward. But I, I, my gut tells me right now he'd be here for, for the rest of the season. My gut's been wrong before, but I think in this case, as, of we, as we talk right now, that's what it's telling me based on what I know and have been told. Anyway, Gary Shelton at Real Shelton Show wants to know, taking Rivera at his word, not giving up on Haskins. How is he going to get a look at him when he's third string? No one wants to go into next season without some more solidity at quarterback. Well, Gary, nobody more than them. Trust me. There's nothing that a coach wants more than some sort of stability and solid play at quarterback. That's how they. That's how their careers get extended. It's why Mike Shanahan won a couple Super Bowls in Denver. I mean, he's a, he was a good coach, but he also had a great quarterback. Ron Rivera did a nice job in Carolina, but he also had Cam Newton at his at his peak. So that you know, anybody any coach wants that. So the thing that people keep missing here is that they do see a ton more than just what goes on during practice. If people think it's just a matter of him getting a couple more reps in practice, they haven't been paying attention. They know how much guys are working on their own, and a quarterback has to be doing more than everybody else. If a young starting quarterback isn't the first in, last out, I, to me, there's an issue, and that's the same thing with them. And I will say, like, players notice that as well. They definitely notice that. Now, if you're making plays and taking that kind of approach, they might overlook some things. But if you're not making plays and you're not taking that approach, you're damn right it pisses them off because that's what I've heard. And that, that's how players are, I should say. And just because fans don't see enough doesn't mean really a whole lot. I mean, we only see so much. These guys see plenty. They made their judgment. That's precisely why he's not starting and why he won't get back in there unless he starts doing these things, short of injuries to others. They will have to find another quarterback in the offseason, whether it's a vet or in the draft or both. In future episodes, we'll start to explore who might be available. It's going to be an interesting offseason, and I do think there will be a few choices. But that's why I say it's not about where he's at. Haskins has to show them not so much on the field. They know what he can do there, and they know, but they also know if he's doing X over here, he can do Y over here. And that's, that's where there's been the disconnect, and that was part of the disappointment with him after, after, you know, when he was benched. Anyway, Skinny Dennis, okay, at Dave Butts. Are either Charles or Christian viewed as possible starters for a good NFL team, or is that another position where the team has a placeholder? 
I'm not sure exactly what that means sometimes. And I say that because, like, look, there are bad linemen on every line. There have been Super Bowl winners with bad line play. It's just that some get obscured because of the quarterback play or other factors in the team. Kansas City's starting center, Austin Ryder, is a former undrafted free agent signed by Ryder was a seventh round pick by Washington, but you know, you got you get the point. He was cut here, he was cut by other teams, but he's starting in, in Kansas City and it's working there. You're playing in front of Patrick Mahomes. Now he's done a good job when I've watched him. But the point is it's you know, if he were playing with a lesser QB, would he be starting? Would it be as effective? Maybe not. Um, but the point is the idea that every good team has only good linemen is starting is just incorrect. That said, I do think Charles can be a legitimate starter if he ever stays healthy. He definitely has the ability. Christian has improved. I don't think he's been the problem. I don't think it's I don't think he's been the problem at all. He does have issues with stunts often. I'm not going to say he's been great by any means. But when I go back and watch the coach's tape, it's not like he's always getting manhandled all the time either. Heck, Brandon Sheriff had some issues against the Giants on a couple runs that I saw. And he's had them in other games that he's played this year. It's just that when people see that, there's a different perception. And sometimes when you see guys like when it was Wes Martin or when it was Christian, sometimes you see him getting steamrolled more. And that's a little bit more troubling. You don't see Sheriff doing that, but you do see him losing some battles at time as well. That said, I do think they'll look for an upgrade at left tackle in the offseason. I do think they wanted to see if Christian could be more than just a swing guy or what kind of starter, what starting kind of starting level he could play at. Um, so, But I think that'll be on the list in the offseason. What helps an O-line is good quarterback play and playmakers that can keep a defense honest and then giving a line a chance to breathe a little bit more. And that's something that Washington also has to do too. There are other ways to improve the line um, as well. So to answer, to sum up your question, I do think Charles would be a good, would be a, I think let's phrase it this way. Would they be good starters? And I think Charles could be a good starter. I don't know that Christian can be. So how's that for maybe that's a better answer. Um, Brian Johnson says, um, thanks for your work. Is there a player on the roster right now that may not be getting much time, but by the end of the season might provide solid play at a particular position? Maybe receiver, O-line, linebacker. It rattles off a few of them. Looking for a sleeper. I think what you're looking for is hope, and I don't blame you. I would have put Sadiq Charles in that spot, and I still think we can. It sounds like he should return after the bye week, but then he's got to stay healthy. I think linebacker Kaliki Hudson is another because he's not a guy who's getting any reps from scrimmage, but he's somebody I'd like to see. Can he be more than just a special teams player? Not a big guy, does play with speed. Um, I think a lot of the young players already f- playing kind of fit this bill already from Antonio Gibson to a guy like Cole Holcomb. Uh, those are young kids, so their development is crucial. So I think I'd be paying attention to how do those young kids develop. These are guys who can develop into solid starters at some point. To expect them to be there now, I think is unrealistic. But I think that's where your hope has to lie. I don't think there are a lot of guys in the sidelines that I put in this category at this time. It's a young team. The sleepers are already on the field for the most part. All right, Tim Smith says, I see some similarities with this team and the 2011 team. Newly drafted defensive star starts to make a difference. Plucky turnover prone QB, not enough weapons make for generally losing games. That team seemed more likable. Do you have a sense why this team isn't more accepted? Tim, well, there's a couple of things. I do remember in 2011 how the, you know, Obviously, there were issues, and John Beck was was not very good at quarterback. What I always jumped, what jumped out to me that year was how they were still able to get receivers open. Like 
you know, Jabbar Gaffney and Dante Stallworth at the end of his career, that's when I felt like Kyle Shanahan, to me, showed that, oh, this guy's going to be really good as a coordinator because he was getting, they were middle of the road on offense. And you look at that talent, they should have been around, you know, the bottom third easily. So I think we'll start there. But I think also because I'm not a fan, it's hard for me to accurately say why they're not more accepted. I do have my theories, though, and it starts with the fact that since 2011, there's been a lot of losing and disappointment and false hopes from RG3 to Scott McLuhan to the cousin situation and now, you know, the name change and now this. And there's this is an angry fan base now. And this is, listen, it's an angry society. I mean, the pandemic and all that. And I think you take a fan base that has been asked to be patient so many times, so many times, and it hasn't been rewarded. Um, so, you know, I think they have to be patient again. It's, it's a lot to ask. I get that. In 2011, social media wasn't as dominant either. I think that's another factor. Um, but they were still close enough to the Gibbs years, I think, and they felt they had a good coach in Mike Shanahan. Also, that was a time where Bruce Allen wasn't as hated as he became, and they were they were just free of the Vinny Serrato years. So I think there was still some good vibes because of that, I think. And you guys would probably know better than me. That's just my theory. I'm sure if Twitter had been bigger back then, um, there were times that Shanahan would have been roasted for certain things, like his standing on the on the on the table for John Beck and more. But I do think that so much has happened since then that it's really, really, really challenged this fan base. And and frankly, I don't blame them for for a lot of their feelings at this point. Um, Sabir, it's, it's at Please Win DC. Why keep why why do they keep running Gibson inside like he's King Henry? He's talking about Derrick Henry. He keeps banging right into his own blockers. Well, Gibson needs to improve his vision without a doubt. I did see some improvement last week in terms of how he lowered his shoulder more often and he wasn't looking to bounce runs as much. He was taking more what was there. I think that's a good start. He has good size at 220 pounds, so he absolutely needs to run inside. Every back does. If he can't do that, then you're going to have to find somebody else. I do agree his vision must improve. I mean, you heard Logan Paulson discuss the run game issues too. And there are times, you're right, that he's run into guys. Heck, and I brought this up with Logan. There was one play last week where uh, Logan Thomas was pulling through the hole and Antonio Gibson was even with him. That's not supposed to happen, folks. So there's definitely things that he has to learn. The kid, you know, I think as much as anybody, he absolutely missed out with having no preseason. Again, you guys were warned about some of these growing pains. The kid has talent, but he's learning a new spot. Having talent doesn't always mean instant impact, especially when you're learning a new position. And no, before anyone asks, he should not be a receiver. Again, every single team that talked to him before the draft wanted him at running back. He was not a polished college receiver. Um, <clears throat> I did think he would have more a better role in the passing game as a, a receiving back than he has had so far. But yeah, you're right though. He's got to improve that vision. And if it doesn't get better, I think again, that's something to watch going forward. If it doesn't get better, that's an issue. Martin McLean wants to know, and we'll close on this one. How many drafts before we are competitive and then be an NFC contender? Not Nostradamus, so let's take a shot here. And I think it depends on really, let's be honest, what happens at quarterback? Um, what do they do there? Also think in terms of off seasons and not just draft. Doesn't mean spending huge in free agency all the time. More often than not, that doesn't work out. We've seen that. But it does mean being able to add perhaps some solid parts or maybe make some other moves um, to get to get more talent in the trades, etc. I think there are, there are a couple off-seasons away from being in that spot as a contender. Um, but that assumes that they make the right moves and that owner Dan Snyder doesn't get impatient early in Rivera's second year 
If it's not improving, that's typically when Snyder becomes really impatient. But even if they go four and twelve this year, that's kind of comparable to what what happened with you know Joe Gibbs was six and ten, Mike Shanahan six and ten. So those weren't great starts, but I think this team needs to show more and show be more competitive down the road. They have a brutal, brutal finish, especially for given who they are. So if they can be competitive in those games and sneak in a win or two in those last six, seven games, then I think then you can say, okay, maybe they're getting somewhere. That's what they need to show. But as I look at this roster, we can all see they need more help in the secondary, more help at linebacker, more help at receiver, more help at running back, at quarterback, a tight end. Another lineman. You're never gonna you're never gonna find all that you need. You're gonna have needs every year. It's why every team loses games and has their own flaws. Two good offseason will be, will be required to me before they can rightly view themselves as an NFC contender. Good off seasons. And I had some ask if they'll finish too high to draft a top quarterback. Look at every draft and every top quarterback. It's not as if all of them were one of the top picks in the draft. That's just not the case. So, I mean, look at Patrick Mahomes, Ben Roethlisberger. You know, there are a lot of guys who were drafted lower than first or second that have made an impact in this league. They need a lot there. And, and But again, it does start there. You can't assume you'll miss out on a, top, on a guy simply by drafting out of the top three or so. If that's the case, then you need to improve your scouting department. Um, I think this offseason will be quite interesting to see what happens to these quarterbacks around the league. I think that's going to be some of these veteran quarterbacks. What do the Jets do with Sam Darnold if they get the top pick? What do the Falcons do with Matt Ryan? Would you even want Matt Ryan? Um, what do, you know, I think Matt, Matthew Stafford's another guy that could become available. So there's going to be some interesting ones in addition to what we're going to see in the draft. And, you know, with, with the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, and, and others. So I, I think it's going to be interesting there, but they've got to hit on that position at some point, and then you go from there. But I do think it's going to take a couple off-seasons to get back to, again, good off-seasons to becoming an NFC contender. You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to Logan Paulson for joining me, and thanks to you for sticking with the show. Please support our sponsors, Lono Coffee and Dizzy Pig Barbecue. I'll talk to you after the Dallas game. Hang in there, folks.